Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> Rock and roll. Everybody freeze! Okay, on the floor, on the floor, right now! Hold it! Where you going? Everybody You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 43. I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah, we're getting up there. I know, it'll be close to our one year anniversary towards the end of October. So if you have a case that you'd like us to cover, and we'll post this on our Facebook group as well. Um, we haven't decided on our one year anniversary case, so... We're thinking of maybe doing a bigger one. We, we, you know, we've done bigger ones in the past. Some of our first ones was like Gary Ridgway, which was, you know, that was a long time ago. Some, some of you might have heard of him. Yeah. And then we've done the Michael Peterson one was pretty big. But yeah, we kind of do lesser known cases, I guess, which I like doing. I like ones that are just sound like really interesting. And so we've got a good one for you this week. This is a good one. Yeah. I don't think many people have talked about this. No, but one of my favorite podcasts did, and I'll definitely give credit to that because that's how I was introduced to the story. But this is episode 43, Peggy Joe Tallis. And it's a different kind of a crime that we'll be covering. It's bank robberies. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a feel-good story. A feel-good if you like when people die, but (laughs) I won't say who. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) So I just wanted to start off with some statistics I found from the FBI website. And the most recent statistics I could find was from... Put on your nerd glasses. From 2018. And in 2018, there were 3,033 robberies in the United States. Bank robberies, that is. 3,033. That's all? Yeah. 333? And about half of them were committed by white people and about half of them were committed by black people. All the other statistics were somewhat negligent. I think there were like 200 Latino people and like 20 Asian people. 20? Yeah. Okay. We don't commit crimes. (laughs) We commit other kinds of crimes. We take people's SATs for them. (laughs) I'm sure that there's other things that the Asians do. Of those identified, 40% of them were narcotics users and 30% of them had prior offenses. So not necessarily the overwhelming majority or anything, but it seems like, you know, being either a prior felon or a drug user is somewhat common among bank robbers. And the time that's most likely for a bank to get hit by a robbery is Friday from the hours of three to six. <laughs> really? It's actually pretty smart. If you think about because it, that's like when yeah, people's paychecks and I stuff. guess people's paychecks when they go to deposit things like maybe for the weekend. Well, and also 
banks usually close at like one on Saturdays and they're not open on Sundays. So it would make sense like everyone, the Friday rush after work, you know, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other busiest day is Monday. I was thinking it was gonna be Monday, but it actually makes really a lot of sense that it's Friday. Employees are most likely to be the ones that are injured, which there were very, very few. I think there was something like 15 or something out of all of the robberies. Robberies do tend to be somewhat, I don't want to say safe, but they really just want to get the money and like leave. Planned. Yeah. I mean, I, no, not necessarily planned, but they're not looking to do bodily harm. They just want the fucking money. Right. And if they don't right. get it, they'll fucking leave, you know? And, you know, bank, I was reading a lot on bank robberies. Now I'm kind of concerned that, like, I'm going to get a knock at the door tonight. It's It doesn't have a very high death rate. And of the people who died in 2018 from bank robberies, do you want to guess who they were? Four out of four of the times? The perpetrators. The perpetrators are always the ones to die. Like, pretty much across the board from year to year to year, the only death that occurs is the perpetrator. It's not any of the bystanders or the security guards or employees. See, it's those kind of odds that um, that's why I never robbed a bank. Yeah, but they were saying that only I think that they were saying that only about 22 percent of the time do they get the money back. And that's not to say that 22 percent of the time it gets solved. It's just saying 22 percent of the time they get the money back. So I'm assuming that has to mean that some of the time people spend the money and they just don't get it back, but they still get arrested. I mean, it's still not great odds. I was just thinking about what happens to the money that has the dye packs and stuff. that. Oh, well, I mean, we're going to learn about what happens when dye packs explode, but you can't spend that money. It's permanent ink and it bursts all over the money. You can't even go to the casino. No, everyone will be like, oh, that's stolen money. Still, and it's it all still red. spins, right? No, it doesn't. Shit, really? Yeah, it's paint. It's it's permanent ink. It's like if a Sharpie broke all over your bag full of papers. You Isn't know? that a federal crime to deface currency? <laughs> it's also a federal crime to rob banks. <laughs> I think that the banks are allowed. Of all of the crime, bank robbery-wise, it's most likely to happen in the South. Why? I don't know. It's just more states. It's more common. But if you go state by state, the most popular state to be robbed, bank bank robbed, is what do you think? I would say Texas. Nope, that's number two. No, that's number three. Oh, shit. Florida. No, that's number four. Um, Where are you right now? <laughs> I am in California. Yeah, California overwhelmingly has the most bank robberies. So of those 3,000, 405 were committed in California. Wow. 202 were committed in New York and only 194 in Texas. And then I think Florida came in with fourth at 168. And then I think Ohio was very, very close behind in the 150s. But yeah, I think just state by state, all the collective states, the South has the most amount of bank robberies. But state by state... California has the most. Interesting stats. Yes. So I would say, especially if you live in the state of California, avoid going to the banks from 3 to 6 on Fridays. Yeah, there you go. Just don't go to the bank. No one goes to the bank anymore. I wonder what the statistics will be like in 2020. You know, obviously they haven't even come out with the 2019 stats yet on the FBI website. But 
I mean, I haven't gone into a bank in so long. I can't even, I can't even remember the last time I stepped inside of a bank. Yeah. Uh, it's been. I guess to maybe exchange like money when you came home from Europe or yeah, something. Yeah, that was the last and time. And even still, that was like inside of a Fred Meyer. I did it another time in a bank. Actually. Yeah. On point or something. Credit union. Yeah. Well, yeah, why don't you just give all our personal information <laughs> out there? All right, so here's the story. A well-dressed cowboy walks into a bar. Oh, I mean, a bank. Is this a, <laughs> is this a joke? I, I think know. I've heard this one. I was going to make the joke that it sounds like a joke, <laughs> and then I, I wrote bank, and I said bar. <laughs> so well a well-dressed cowboy walks into a bank. He hands the... Banker, a note. It still sounds like a joke, doesn't yeah, yeah. it? The note said, this is a bank robbery. Give me your money. No marked bills or die packs. And before I move on, I do want to cite the two most important sources here at the top. I actually heard about this story from one of my favorite podcasts called Criminal. So I talk about it a lot. If you're not subscribing to Criminal, you should. Phoebe Judge and her crew are amazing. Episode number 140 called Cowboy Bob is the episode that we both listen to and has a lot of information. She actually interviews both the author, Skip Hollinsworth, of another source that I use a lot called The Last Ride of Cowboy Bob from the Texas Monthly Magazine. And it's a really long article that goes super duper in-depth in Cowboy Bob's life. And... She also interviews Steve Powell, who is the head FBI agent that we'll be referencing a lot throughout. And he is like this really jovial, really awesome guy. I mean, he was just really fun to listen to. He's totally like a Texas FBI agent, you know? Yeah, he's a specialist in bank robbery. Yeah, and he's just like a pleasure to listen to. He's retired. He's obviously like really happy with what he's done with his life. And he, you can just hear it in his voice. Like, he's a very happy man. And this case really stuck Yeah, it really him. irked him. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. So those are our sources. So before I move on the story, I wanted to make sure to reference the two most important sources. We have other ones that we'll put in our episode notes, but these are the two that I primarily used. So like I was saying, the cowboy hands the banker a note and is in and out with his money in less than 60 seconds. That's crazy. Yeah. It's really quick. Which is why Steve Powell is like, that's a perfect bank robber right there. In and out, no weapons brandished. Um, 60 seconds? I can't even fill out one of those dumb forms in 60 <laughs> well, seconds. Well, the, the note's already written. Well, I know. But. Yeah. So at about 5'10 and a little paunch, uh, a beard, grain hair, and a 10-gallon cowboy hat that very much covered the cowboy's eyes, which, again, goes to that kind of perfect bank robber theory that the Steve cameras. Powell had. Yeah. yeah. The FBI dubbed him Cowboy Bob. <laughs> cowboy Bob hit five banks between May of 1991 and September of 1992 because of his polite, silent demeanor and stolen license plates, uh, an ever-revolving set of stolen license plates on his 1975 Pontiac Grand Prix, he was nearly impossible to track and catch. So like I was saying, FBI agent Steve Powell was the lead on the case. And in the criminal episode, he said that Cowboy Bob was the most perfect bank robber he'd ever come across. Unlike other robbers, Cowboy Bob was a gentleman. 
He never brought weapons. He avoided cameras. He kept his head down and he never had the same license plate. Steve Howell told Texas Monthly in 2005, how could this little dried up cowboy be whipping up this bad time after time? Texas talk. I think that's code for like, or like Texas slang for how is this fat old cowboy dude ripping off all these banks and getting away with it? Yeah. Thank you for the translation, Kevin. Yeah, you're welcome. In September of 1992, Cowboy Bob robbed First Gibraltar Bank in Mesquite for $1,772, a smaller amount than he was used to. Police and FBI quickly followed. They tracked the license plates to a Mesquite resident who, as always, had no ideas his plates had been stolen. While police were wrapping up their investigation, they got another call that Mesquite's first interstate bank, only about a mile away from the first bank, had just been robbed by a quiet man in a cowboy hat. At this bank, Cowboy Bob had hit the jackpot, $13,706, the most he had ever made in a robbery. The teller said that the robber was so pleased with his haul that he tipped his hat on the way out. Steve Powell got the call that Cowboy Bob had struck again and rushed to the next scene. However, this time was different. The license plate that had an eyewitness described was traced back to Pete Tallis, who worked at a Ford auto parts factory in Carrollton? Carroll? I think it's Carrollton. Carrollton, Texas, located only about 25 miles away from Mesquite. When they questioned Pete, he said that the license number did match his brown Pontiac Grand Prix. Bingo. They got him. But Pete told agents that he had given his car to his sister and mother because they couldn't afford one. When he was informed that it had just been used in a bank robbery, he swore that it wouldn't go fast enough. Nonetheless, he gave his sister and mother's address to law enforcement to check it out. Their names were Helen and Peggy Joe. When Powell and everyone arrived, they saw the car parked in the lot. They were trying to figure out how they would apprehend Cowboy Bob. Then, a woman in a t-shirt and shorts came out and walked to the car. Powell thought that this must be the robber's girlfriend. They let her drive away from the apartment as to not alert Cowboy Bob to run. They stopped her as she rounded the corner. She kindly introduced herself to Powell as Peggy Joe Tallis. When he asked if he could go back to the apartment and search it with her, she said all he would find there was his sick mother. Investigators went back to Peggy's apartment where Helen answered the door. They rushed past her in, into Peggy Joe's bedroom, which was neatly arranged. Then they looked on top of her closet. They saw a styrofoam mannequin's head with a beard pinned to it and a cowboy hat. Then they looked under the bed, and there was a bag full of money. <laughs> they say, uh, come on, Peggy Joe, you're hiding a man from us. Pal said, so they think like she's hiding this like bank her robber. boyfriend yeah, or something, yeah. yeah. She gave him a look and said, there ain't any man. I promise you that. As Pal continued to look at her, he finally noticed it. There were spots of gray dye in her hair and faint splotches of glue above her lip. And Pal says, I'll be damned. And he pulls out his cuffs and reads Peggy her Miranda rights. Gentlemen, Pal said... 
Cowboy Bob is actually Cowboy Babette. <laughs> yeah, and in the criminal episode, I mean, he gets quite a rise out of telling the story of her capture because never in a million years did he think it was going to be like, you know, a good natured, nice woman that was doing the, who was like basically the quote unquote perfect bank robber. Totally caught him off guard. It totally caught him off guard. And also, like, in the criminal episode, he talks about how he he was like, who was the last person to use the car? And she's like, I was the last person to use the car. And he was like, but what man used the last car? And she's like, there was no man in here. And he was like, but this car was just used in bank robbery. And she's like, I know, I was the last person to use it. And he was like, she never once lied to me. Yeah, like, yeah. She wouldn't say it was her outright, but she also didn't not say we love those double negatives. I know. Uh, I didn't not say that. That's what makes me like this story so much. Yeah. She didn't hurt anyone. Yeah. Except herself at the end, but we'll get okay, to that. Yeah, we'll get there. Powell was saying that if she had just followed her usual routine, that she could, probably would have never been caught. That Yeah, they would, would never have caught her. Cotton? Cotton? Cotton. You're talking like a true Texan now. <laughs> While in custody, Peggy Jo wouldn't talk. She didn't say much to her court-appointed attorney either. However, he hired Richard Schmidt, a psychologist who specialized in evaluating criminals, to interview her. She admitted to Schmidt that she robbed in order to pay for her mother's medications. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty harsh, actually. Yeah. It was supposed to be a one-time thing. But also, thing. she could have gotten a job. Dude, do you know how much? Like, I'm not sure what her mother, mother yeah, was taking. Yeah, but, but I mean, a lot of the takes, like the first four robberies, like they were never more than like two to $3,000. Like, that's why I'm just saying like Some of these prescriptions paychecks. are like yeah. way more than that. And if and, you don't have and, insurance, you're getting And maybe she did have a job railed. too. I mean, I didn't, the, the Texas Monthly article goes way more into Peggy Joe's life. But I mean, I just, really bank robbery, that's going to. That's going to be your best means of income. Well, it was working for her. Yeah. So she said it was supposed to be a one-time thing and, and didn't intend on it being, you know, on number two or three or four. <laughs> when Schmidt asked her why she continued to do it, Peggy Joe shrugged. And then... Later on. Yeah, it speculated that it was just hard for her to admit that she actually had fun robbing banks. Yeah, she was good at it. <laughs> yeah. She, apparently, she was the best one, according to this dude. Maybe it was because she had an honorable reason, or she didn't use weapons, or maybe because this was totally out of character for her, but Peggy Joe only got a 33-month sentence for her crime spree. Yeah, I mean, that's four or five federal bank robberies. I was reading on the FBI website, at least today, the minimum is seven years. That's yeah, that's actually really crazy, especially in 30, Texas. I mean, it's less than three years, yeah, for five robberies. But I think, again, it has to do with the fact that I don't think she had a prior record and she never actually used a weapon. So there was no intention of ever hurting anyone, I guess. Because, again, the statistics, like we heard, like they're used to people kind of being drugged up and being prior felons, you know, like they're not. She's a different kind of beast, you know? Yeah, definitely. Maybe not a beast at all. Yeah. Well, she's no angel. <laughs> so Peggy Joe and her family stayed very quiet during this time after she gets out, right? And during. 
Uh, they turned down interviews and book deals. No one wanted this to be a lasting stain on their record. By the mid-90s, she was released and back living with her mother. She continued her dutiful activities as her mother's caretaker, but this time in Garland, Texas, in a two-room townhome. During this time out of prison, she worked as a telemarketer and then as a cashier at the Harbor Bay Marina at Lake Ray Hubbard, just outside Dallas. Her manager spoke of her highly, saying that her till was never short and that she went out of her way to help others. When she was asked... Um, when she was asked out by, like, yeah. men. Yeah. yeah, when she was asked out by men or women. Yeah, I think she preferred men. She always said that she needed to go home to her mother. She was a loner. In the Lone Star State. Oh, wow. In 2002, her mother died in her sleep, and her sister died of breast cancer. Uh, so that year sucked for her. She started losing touch with her close friends, too. In the spring of 2004, Peggy bought a used RV from a man at the marina for about six grand. She told her close friend Susie that she was going to go live out the rest of her days in the RV on the beach somewhere in Mexico. Quote, she told me I ought to come along while I had the chance before life ran out on us. I'll never forget her saying that before life ran out on us. Mm. She sold or gave away everything she owned. Everything she kept had to fit in the RV. In late summer of 2004, she called another friend to say goodbye. For months, there were sightings of her here and there, but nothing for certain. There was a bank robbery in Tyler in 2004 involving a pudgy man with what looked to be a fake mustache and a weirdly feminine voice. But he was able to walk with an undisclosed amount of money and was never apprehended. And a lot of people believe it was Peggy Joe, obviously, in the future, but there's nothing to actually point to it. Yeah, because how much of a break in time was it from the last robbery? 92? 93, maybe? No, no, I, it's, it's early 90s, so, I mean, it's been 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, why would they suspect her? Yeah. And at this point, the FBI agent, Steve Powell, he's retired. Okay. So, one morning, Peggy Joe woke up and put on an unusual outfit. A black shirt, black pants, black floppy hat, a pair of black sunglasses, some lipstick, and blush. She drove her RV to Tyler, Texas, across the street from Guarantee Bank the very bank that had been robbed the previous October. With a black bag in hand, she walked into the bank and told the teller, this is a robbery. I need all of your money. Don't set any alarms. So deviating from her norm. She didn't dress like a man. And she didn't have a note. The teller gave Peggy everything she had in her station, $11,241. She must have been excited. It would have been enough to get down to Mexico and live comfortably for, for a little bit. But this is when she made her second fatal error. She hadn't checked the money for a dye pack. Mm. It exploded red ink all over the money and red smoke was rising from the black bag as she rushed to her RV to escape. Onlookers noticed her and called 911. Do you know that word? 
Coincidentally, there was also a group of FBI agents and Tyler cops patrolling the area for literally bank robbers. Yeah. Apparently, there had been three recently from younger men. Peggy Jo made her slow ascent onto the highway, barely able to even get up to the speed limit. Remember, she was in an old RV. She tried to distract the police by pulling into a neighborhood, but they were onto her. The police were in full force. Bulletproof vests, rifles, and handguns drawn. They figured there was probably a posse in the RV. They waited. They were ordering the robber or robbers to come out that the RV was surrounded. She was inside, finishing a cigarette, sitting next to the useless red money. In the back bedroom of the RV was a three fifty seven Magnum loaded with hollow point bullets underneath a pillow. She took her time but walked past it to the toy gun she also had back there, just in case she needed it to brandish, you know, during a future robbery or whatever. Finally, she opened the door of the RV, her arms at her side. You're going to have to kill me, she said. The police said, ma'am, you don't have to do this. And this guy would later be advised by his superiors to seek counseling for the guilt because... Because of what happens next. Yeah. So she says, you mean to tell me if I come out here with a gun and point it at y'all, you're not going to shoot me? And the cops say, please don't, please don't do that. They do not want her to do this. And she steps off the RV steps onto the street and started to raise the toy pistol. And four officers shot her, all hitting her at the same time. They figured out that there was no one else in the RV. Stumped. They ran her driver's license they found in the vehicle and confirmed it was the infamous Cowboy Bob. They called and left a message for Steve Powell, letting him know that his nemesis was dead. Yeah, and in the criminal episode, I mean, he does not even try to hide the fact that he's very saddened by it. He was just like, why would she try to do that again, you know? Yeah, he kind of felt guilty like he kind of he said on that on the podcast that if there was only like if he only could have like gotten in touch with her and like communicated with her yeah that he thinks that she wouldn't have gone out like that but yeah and it's sad too because so much of peggy joe like the family that she had left like her brother and stuff said that they're like if she had money problems we would have gladly given her money you know and like people at the marina like her old boss like friends that she made there they were all like man we would have given her money but it's I not it about wasn't the money it wasn't about the money but at the her same mom time died and stuff so her that was like her whole like purpose you know was like but i also think she did run out of money cuz she wasn't working at this point and i think that i think she's it was one of those things where it's like point break uh, you know, I feel like a lot of our episodes could end in a moral about Point Break. It's like that one last big thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Literally, it's exactly like Point the Break. The hundred year storm. Yeah, it's like if I could just do this one last thing, if I could get away with it, it'd be fucking awesome. Go into Mexico, just like Point Break. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't his name like John Johnny Montana or something? I think, was that... No, I think that's Keanu Reeves' name in the movie. Who was the other dude? Um, Patrick Swayze. I don't know. He was some president. I mean, they wore president masks. Oh, right. <laughs> Gosh, Richard you don't. Nixon. 
Yeah, his name was Richard Nixon. Anyways, man, I wonder if Point Break was based on a true story. (laughs) 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 Anyways, yeah, I mean, there's just that idea of like one last haul if I could get away with this. And if I don't, at least I'll be, you know, dying what I love doing or I get, you know what I mean? I think she really did love robbing banks. I think she had a very mediocre life and like the bank robberies gave her some pizzazz. I imagine it's a pretty big adrenaline rush. Oh, yeah. To walk away. And it was interesting because I was reading another article on bank robberies, which, again, I got to be on some kind of list at this point. But I was reading another thing on bank robberies that was saying that, like, anytime anybody walks away with any amount of money, they're, like, thrilled. And a lot of times they get away with it. They said that most of the time they get away with it, it's because they pass a note to the teller. And the tellers have been advised, just give them some money. And they'll go away. A lot of times it's like drug addicts just being like, and those people don't get caught. That's what's fucking crazy. So I don't want you to get any ideas, but. Too late. <laughs> so that's the story this week. It was kind of a quick one, but it was a good one. Yeah, I like it. It's too bad she went out like that, but I think it's kind of like what she wanted, you know? Yeah. Going out with in a blaze of glory. And it was something like she said to her friend who's like, You know, I want to do something before life runs out. And I think she felt like at that point her life had run out. She had another couple good years doing what she wanted to do. And she probably robbed some banks during that time, too. Like, who knows? You know, there's there's other kind of theories as to, like, other bank robberies that she may have committed because she was pretty good at disguises, you know? Yeah, just to prove that the old girl still got it. So, yeah. One of the reasons that we're making this a short one, too, is that we got some work to do ASAP on another one that we'll be getting together this weekend, which is super duper exciting. And we can't say what it is yet, but I'm super excited. Urgent special edition. Yeah, I'm super excited. So if you want to join our Facebook group and talk about some crime, the big story today was, I will admit, I thought that Brianna Taylor's um, murderers, one of them was arrested for her murder, but it actually wasn't that. It was for wanton shooting. The neighbors had reported the officers for like basically wantonly shooting up their apartment. So the neighbor's wall got justice before Brianna Taylor has. I Yeah. It's, this whole thing is, I can't wrap a, my mind around I don't know it. why you, they can't just fucking arrest the cops. They're murderers. Yeah, they were like. They should at least be. Plain clothes and they just, they didn't, they just. It was a no knock place, warrant right? and it was the wrong place. Right. It's The whole thing is fu- insanely fucked up. Yeah. Like they need to be fucking arrested. Like yeah. no questions asked. They're and murderers. The fucking department sued the fucking assholes off. So anyways, yeah, I thought that it was like hopeful for a second. And then as I continued to read on and read other sources, I was like, wait a minute. They're not getting fucking he was not getting arrested. And he was he was out on bail. Like immediately he had like a fifteen thousand dollar bond and he was out. Like so he didn't even actually go to jail. He just paid some money. Not surprising. Yeah. Fuck. Anyways, you can join our Facebook group. Like I was saying, it's called True Crime Dunster. We have um, some really great people on there who are sharing stuff as well and you know sometimes we'll discuss some true crime stories but mostly a lot of true crime is just infuriating (laughs) to talk about but uh, we try to bring some lighter stuff into there as well yeah this story was lighter this was a nice and mild I would give this um 
It's like a medium spiciness yeah, on the yeah. true crime scale. I would say if green to yellow, it's mellow. And we're also on Twitter, True Crime Dumpster. Oh, wait, is it TC Dumpster? TC Dumpster on Twitter. Twitter, yeah. And then our Instagram is True Crime Dumpster. We try to update those as well with images from our shows and letting y'all know when a new episode is out. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, especially if you're a regular listener of the show. It really helps us out when we get more reviews and stars. I notice that whenever we get a new rating or a new review, I notice like five to ten new listeners. So you can join us next week as we keep talking out the trash. And bye. Until then, hasta la vista. Bye.